I know we sang about it earlier, but how many of you are thankful for Jesus in your life this morning? Amen? It's good to see you here. Uh, I tell you, I look forward every Sunday to just gather with our faith family, and uh, it's great to see you here this morning. If you're a guest with us, we're glad that you chose today to be with us. And so if you're here visiting, uh, we just want to say welcome uh, to our faith family. Welcome home, maybe, uh, as you explore where God may have you to be. Uh, in a local church, but it's good to see all of you here today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to go to this morning as we dive into God's Word together. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at probably one of the more challenging passages of Scripture for me personally as a, as a pastor, but not just as a pastor, but as a, a follower of Christ Jesus. It's one of these passages that really I think just challenges an individual to the core. And even for us today, as we gather together uh, corporately, as we gather together as a faith family, um, as, a, as the body of Christ, uh, I think it's one that uh, we, we will look at today and we'll, we'll be challenged by what Paul is saying uh, in his words as he writes to the church in Ephesus. But I think more than that, as an individual follower of Christ Jesus, we'll find ourselves just really... Uh, looking inward and asking ourselves how this might challenge us as well. Uh, it's a great passage of Scripture, and I love it, and I think it's going to be one of these that, um, that we're just able to, to carry home something with us this morning as God speaks into our hearts. And, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to just hearing from some of you. Uh, I hear from somebody every week, uh, a lot of you every week, just how uh, God's Word spoke into your heart, how God's spoken to your life, and... Uh, there, there's nothing probably more encouraging for, for me as a pastor, or I know for the other pastors as well, than just hearing that God is moving, God is stirring in the hearts of, of those that gather each and every Sunday. And so I look forward to just hearing what God is doing in your life as well. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to open up God's Word and, and go there together. So let's pray, and then we'll hear from God this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence in this place, God, as we have gathered here collectively, uh, God, as a, as a gathering of people whom you have assembled here. Uh, God, uh, I, I don't believe for one moment that, that there is uh, anyone here today that is here because, by accident. I believe that through your sovereignty, God, you have brought us here for this, for this reason that we may not yet understand. And Father, I pray that as we dive into your word that God uh, we would be very receptive to your spirit moving and stirring in our hearts and, and God as, as, as you move God that we would clearly hear from you this morning I pray Father that as we dive into your word that God you would, you would teach us something God you would teach us something about uh, the issues that we're going to be looking at here the, the, the topic if you will but God I pray that you would teach us something out of your word that, that would just really challenge us to to be more like Jesus. And so, Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing in this place. God, I thank you for the testimonies that we have just witnessed and seen uh, in, in the video. And, uh, God, I just pray that as we continue to live our lives as, as individual followers and also as the, as the church, God, that you would continue to go before us. God, leading us and directing us with your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at the, the topic of community, but we're also looking at how community ties directly with unity. 
We were sort of joking in the green room this morning as we were praying for the service to begin and, and, and really uh, just praying that God would go before us and, and meet us here in this place, uh, that how unity is a part of community. If you just look at that word, you know, you just, you, you can't have community without unity. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about here today as we dive into God's word together. We're going to talk about how these two just uh, tie in so greatly to one another and that you really can't have one without the other. It's not just a spelling issue, it's a, it's a God design issue. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning, and I think you'll be really encouraged by God's Word here this morning as we dive into it. Um, now before we dive into the passage, which is found in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, uh, I think it's important that we, that we revisit everything that sort of comes before that. Now I'm not saying we're going to read all of that, I'm just going to sort of highlight the what Paul is saying here, but what we see in this letter to the church in Ephesus as Paul is writing to this local body is we see the Apostle Paul, he starts off in chapter 1 and he goes all the way through chapter 3 really laying a theological foundation so that by the time he gets to chapter 4, the passage that we're going to be looking at today, which has more of a, a practical implication, that we don't just merely see it as practical. We see it as theological as well, even though it just seems to be more about nuts and bolts of living out our life as, as individual followers of Christ, we begin to see the, the theological implications that come with the practical. And so uh, what, I just want to start off by showing you this this morning. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, when he begins his writing, he, he starts off uh, by praying for the church in Ephesus. And I love his prayer. I love how he, he, he just sort of begins this letter with a spirit of prayer. And what he prays for is that they would have eyes. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And I love that because he's, he's, he's praying before he writes the letter. He's praying that the hearts of, of, of Christ's followers, they're living in, in Ephesus, the church, that their hearts would be open to what God wants to do through this letter. I, I, I believe that the Apostle Paul, as he's writing and he's praying for them, he's praying that they would just get it, that they would understand the theological truths that he is presenting to them as he marches through chapter 1, 2, 3, and into 4 and, and just continues through the whole uh, letter that he's writing. But he is praying that their hearts would be open to God. And that's my prayer for us this morning as we gather here as well. I, I would pray that every one of us in this room, that as we come in here this morning, that we're not just simply coming in to take a seat and to, to have church together so that we can, about halfway through, begin to start texting our friends about where we're going to meet them for lunch and then, and then leave the place saying, oh, that was good, I just love our church, and just go off to, to Chile somewhere and, and, and have lunch together and then go home and, and just kill the rest of the day. I pray that when we come into this place, that as we, as we move into this place, that, that our hearts are inclined toward God. I pray, like Paul is praying for the Ephesians, that our hearts would be open to what God wants to teach to us. And so that's my prayer for you. That's what I hope your prayer is for us as we gather together and we, we study God's word together. So that's how Paul sort of begins this letter. He says, I, I pray that the eyes of your hearts 
are enlightened. And then he goes into some theological truths for us here today. In Ephesians chapter 2, 8, a very familiar passage to us, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And so Paul wants to be very clear that salvation is a gift from God. It, it, it's not by our own doings are we saved, but, but it's, uh, the, we are saved by grace. Grace being that which we don't deserve. Grace being that which is extended to us by a holy and righteous God, despite the fact that we are, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, so we are saved by grace. And Paul wants to be very clear that, that this is the starting point for us. And then by the time we get to verse 12 of chapter 2, he writes these words. Listen to these words in chapter, uh, verse 12 and, and 13. He says, and also, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, now, so here's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm praying that God would open up your hearts and that you would understand that I would, I'm praying that you would remember that you have been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he challenges the Ephesians and he says, and don't forget, you were once alienated from God. You were once separated from Christ. And so he, he's sort of getting us to think back, to look back at, into our life. And then he says this in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus. How many of you celebrate that with me this morning? That at one time in your life you were far from Christ, but now you have been brought near by what? By the blood of Jesus. And so this morning we were singing about Jesus. We were praising Jesus. We were singing to Jesus, and we were, we were just exalting his name because he is the one that is responsible that we may have life and have it more abundantly. He is the one who is responsible for us having eternal life. And that's what Paul is sort of doing. You can see these, these huge theological truths that he's sort of laying out for the church to remember before he moves into this text that we're going to look. And then by the time we get to chapter 3, Paul once again begins to pray. And I love this prayer. I love this prayer. And this should be the prayer on our hearts every single day. As the Apostle Paul gets to uh, chapter 3, he prays this. He says, in, starting in verse 17, he says, That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all the, with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with, with all the fullness of God. And so this is what Paul has been writing about. He's been writing about all this, this, this theological stuff that is certainly very important for us to, to understand before we move into anything practical. It's almost as if Paul is, is praying and longing for us to really get it, for us to really grab hold of everything that is important for us to understand before before he moves into this passage that we're going to be looking at today, dealing with community and, and how community is God's design for his people and how community is so deeply intertwined with unity within the life of the church. And so we get to Ephesians 4, and it's a very critical moment for the church. He said, listen, this is who you are 
in Christ Jesus. This is what Christ Jesus has done for you. Now let's talk about where we go from here. And that's the setup. That's, that's Paul setting up this passage for us as we walk through the Word of God here together. So let's look at Ephesians 4, starting with verses 1 through 6. Let's look at this together. The Apostle Paul, he writes this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, it's so important that we understand what Paul is saying here. It's so important that we understand that what Paul is saying in this text, even though we've already identified it as more practical than theological, we've already looked at the theological, but we've identified it as practical. But what we must understand here is that what Paul is not doing is he is not just laying out some to -do, a to-do list for us as believers in Christ Jesus. Remember now, all of this is tied with everything he's already spoke about in the previous chapters. And so he is laying out something that is, is much more powerful to, for us to understand. It's not just this, a simple to-do list that he's given us. Instead, he is saying this. He is saying, remember, remember what we know about Christ Jesus. Remember what we know. As believers in Christ Jesus, we may not know everything about Jesus, but we know what we know about Jesus. And so he's calling us to remember what we know about Jesus. And then he moves into this, and who we are in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is doing is he is beginning to, again, point us to our identity in Christ Jesus because all of what he is saying here in chapter 4, none of it is any good to us if our identity is not in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to see that in just a moment. And then he says all of this so that we may come together with Christ being that common thread that binds us all together. And so this passage, if it's about anything, it's about Christian unity. And we're going to be looking at that as we dive into this text here. You know, here at Crosspoint, we talk a lot about a lot about being a faith family. In fact, when I came up here this morning, I said, good morning, faith family. And, and I, I just want to say this to you this morning. You know, when we talk about uh, this place being a faith family, when we talk about this place being our home, those aren't just warm, fuzzy words that we're offering, uh, you know, to, to, to just start the day off. This is, a, this is a theological thing that we're talking about. When we look into the Word of God, as we begin to explore the body of Christ, as we begin to study what it means to be a local church, we begin to realize that what we see in Scripture is defining the local church as a faith family. We say faith family because the one common thread is our faith in Christ Jesus. And so here we, we see here that Paul is going to be, he's going to be talking about this unity and, and what we need to understand as we talk about this unity that he is also speaking of the community in which we have here in this place uh, and, and why it is that we should be like-minded individuals bound together in Christ Jesus. Now here's how he starts off the text. 
He starts off the text in, in verse one by saying this, I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of calling. Now, just allow that to sit and soak for just a moment. Allow those words to just sort of penetrate your heart. Remember, verse 1, this is what he's praying for. He's praying as you read through this letter that we would be the type of people who open up our hearts and say, God, speak into my life. And then suddenly, Paul hits us with this verse 1 where he says, and I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, of the calling to which you have been called. Now, I don't know if any of you are like me, but when I see that, man, I just, I, I just sort of get all shook up a little bit. This is where the challenging part comes in for me. Because you see, there's this, this bit of me that, that wants to live a life that is worthy of the calling. And, and so I begin to immediately, if I'm not careful, I begin to immediately sort of go to this place of moralistic deism where I begin to challenge myself. Well, am I doing enough for Jesus? Am I, I, and I find myself trying to earn, I try to earn God's favor by my actions as a believer. And that's not at all what Paul is portraying to us. That's not at all what Paul is speaking of here. He's not, he's not trying to shame us to, to ask our, by asking us if we're doing enough for Jesus, he is, he is, in fact, revealing to us that our worth comes from Christ Jesus, what Christ has already done. That's why it was so important that the Apostle Paul, in chapter 1, 2, and 3, before he ever gets to 4, talks so much about the theological implications of our faith in Christ Jesus. He is pointing to Jesus as being the one who is worthy and who has saved us by grace, who is through his Holy Spirit sanctifying us and maturing us and molding us and shaping us into little Christ. And so Paul is pointing, he is pointing to Jesus as being the one who is worthy and he challenges us to think about our identity in Christ Jesus as we walk through this, it's not intended to shame us. It's not intended to, to cause us to, to bow down in fear to God. It's to celebrate Jesus in our life. I love what John Piper once said about this. I think this is really interesting. He says, being worthy does not mean that we should try to deserve our place in God's favor. It means that we should recognize how much our place in God's favor deserves from us. And so he's speaking of this, this reality that as believers in Christ Jesus, it's not that we're living our life trying to earn God's favor by living a life that is worthy, but by recognizing our worth comes from Christ Jesus. I love what Spence was up here sharing with us earlier about these moments in his week this week where it's just like for every one of us, we find ourselves struggling with untruths till we remember the truths of God's word, which points us back to Jesus. And it's in those moments that we find restoration and we are reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. And so here we see that Paul is, is laying this out. He says, I urge you to walk in this manner worthy of the calling. Now, I want you to see something here. It's really interesting because he's speaking of unity. He even uses the word unity here. We see this word in the text in verse 3. He says, he says with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, 
in love. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But he says here in verse 3, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, here's what we need to know about this. Paul's not saying, listen, you need to work really hard on being unified. That's not what he's saying here. Now, he will say that later in this letter. But that's not what he's pointing out to us. Because what he's challenging us to do is to maintain unity. He's speaking of a unity that has already been established by Jesus. He is talking about the unity that we have as children of God where the common thread is Jesus himself. And so what he says here as he talks all about Jesus and he gets to this place where he says, listen, you know, challenge you to to consider yourself, are, are you walking a life that is in a worthy manner of the calling in which you have? And then he lays out these principles as, or these attitudes of, of Christian unity, but then he challenges us with these words to maintain, he says, the unity of the Spirit. And so it's very important. I have seen this, this passage so many times used in the context of us discipline ourselves to be more unified and so he is giving us those principles but it's very important that we understand that here in the context of this passage that what Paul is saying is he's speaking of the unity that has already been established by Jesus through his spirit by the spirit of God and so here he is declaring that we as followers of Christ Jesus we as children of God we are unified in Christ Jesus we are unified we are one if we go on and we look at verse 4 and 6 he says there is one body one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all he's speaking of the unity that as children of God we already have that's powerful that's powerful. But then he continues by saying we must maintain this unity. As we walk through a series called Salt and Light, we are asking ourselves as a church, how is it that we can be the salt of the earth? We are asking ourselves, how is it that we can be the light of the world? What is it that we need to, how is it that we can best go out into our community and portray Jesus? How is it that we can best as the local church, a local church, go out into our community and put on display Jesus Christ, that we can exalt his name, not our own? How is it that we can go out and be the salt and the light of the world? And so that's the question that we're asking. And this passage is dealing with that thing. It's saying, listen, we must come together as a local body already established in unity by Christ Jesus and we're going to have to maintain that unity of the Spirit. And so how do we do that? Well, let's look at this. The Apostle Paul gives us five attitudes here and I'm going to go through every one of them. It'll take me about 45 minutes per, so we'll be here for a while. Now, I'm going to go through it real quickly. But he gives us five. I'm not going to come up with any fancy terminology or anything. We're just going to look at each one of them just like he lays them out here to us. The first one is what? Humility, right? Humility. And that's the starting point, isn't it? 
I mean, if you think about it, what you know, Jesus was saying, and I mean, what Paul was writing about in Ephesians 2, 8, he says, we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Humility is the starting point of all that, isn't it? Because as a, as a person, we are living our life in sin. Remember what he said. He said, you once were alienated from God. You were separated from Christ. And so here you are over here in all your sin, and you, you were saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It, you know, our whole Christian life begins with humility. Because in essence, what we're saying is, you are God and I am not, right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I hope most of you are saying. I hope nobody here today is saying, well, pastor, you don't know me, you know. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, and you are not God, okay? If that's where you thought it, I, I'm sure that's not where our thoughts are today. We are, we are at a place in our salvation where we recognize Jesus as a holy and righteous God and the fact that we fall so short of all of that. So for us, the Christian life begins with humility. And so it only makes sense that the Apostle Paul would use this one, that he would say, listen, you need to maintain that spirit of humility as you maintain unity in the Spirit. And so he gives us that one to sort of start off with. In fact, all through Scripture, we, we talked about this in a previous series, but all through Scripture, we see where God opposes the proud. He opposes the arrogant. He opposes the boastful. And we see this all through the scriptures. And so here the apostle Paul says, listen, if you want to maintain the, the unity of the spirit of God within yourself and within the life of the church, remember humility. And so he challenges us to be humble. You know, one of the things I, I began to realize as I was studying through this is that the early church, they they really got that, you know? And I think it's interesting because that's what Paul was praying for. Man, I pray, God, that their hearts would be open, that they would get it. But the early church, they, they really got it. They didn't always get it, but they were, uh, certainly after the ascension into heaven, they, they went around, they, they, began to, they began to live their life very missional, and they were always exalting the name of Jesus. They were never saying, hey, look, I, I used to walk with Jesus. You never see them doing that, do you? In fact, all the good attributes that we see about the disciples were usually told about some, by someone else about that person. They don't go around boasting. They don't go around, you know, with this sort of arrogant, boastful spirit about them. No, there's always a spirit of humility. Uh, even, even Matthew, he described himself as, as just a, a detestable uh, tax collector. And so here we see this the spirit, of, uh, this, the spirit of humility that Paul is talking about as he begins this passage, he says, if you want to maintain Christian unity, if you want to maintain the unity of the Spirit, remember humility. Even Paul would often start off his passages, his, his letters, by saying, I, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. He was never boasting in himself. He was always exalting the name of of Jesus so humility is a big part of it in essence what Paul is saying here is he says as you go out into the community and you live your life if you want to be the salt of the earth if you want to go out and live your life and you want to be the light of the world then rid yourself of arrogance rid yourself of pride rid yourself of boastfulness and live your life in humility the second thing that he points out here is this Paul mentions the attitude of gentleness. Gentleness, you know, is, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one that was laid out to us as one of the fruits of the Spirit. 
and it conveys a spirit really of self-control. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in, in situations that, that anger us, and so uh, a lot of times, there's a, a great need for self-control in my, our life, and when we exercise that self-control, we are also exercising gentleness. Gentleness is, is one of these things that communicates sensitivity. It, it, it causes us to move away from harshness, and so this becomes very, very important as we look into the, our life as believers and followers of Christ Jesus in the life of our families. You know, how we interact with our children, how we interact with our husbands and our wives doesn't need to be one of harshness. It needs to be one of gentleness. And so here we see this. Not that it, it denotes any sort of weakness. It takes great strength to be gentle sometimes. Amen? But the reality is this is a fruit of the Spirit, and this is one of the ways that we can maintain our unity in the Spirit is that we live with a, with a spirit of humility, but we also live with a spirit of gentleness. Galatians 6, 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Have you ever heard anybody say something like this? Well, I don't go to church anymore because I was hurt by the church. We've probably all heard that from time to time. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you, you've experienced hurt yourself in the, in the life of the church. But what we see here as Paul is, is writing to this is he says we should be people of gentleness. And I would almost bet that anybody who has ever testified to being hurt by the church didn't experience gentleness when conflict arose, even within the life of the church. So it becomes very important for us as followers of Christ Jesus living our life, no doubt that we speak truth into the life of individuals, but we do so with an absence of self-righteousness and all humility, and we do so with gentleness. You see how this begins to, to take shape as the Apostle Paul is is laying out these sort of practical steps that we can, we can follow to ensure that we maintain a spirit of unity within the church, that which Christ has already given us through Jesus Christ himself. The next one is patience. The next one is patience. Let me ask you a question. How many of you struggle with this one here this morning? Oh, wow, okay. So there's 38 of us here today that struggle with this. There was only eight of us in the first service. Now, I don't know what that means. Uh, that means maybe you don't like to raise your hand in church or whatever, but I believe it's stronger than that. I believe the, the ratio for those of us that struggle with patience is probably much greater than just 38 of us in this room. Amen? So let me ask you again, because I don't want you to lie in church, okay? How many of you struggle with patience? Anybody struggle with patience? All right, there we go. There we go. All right, now we're being honest here this morning. You know, I'll be honest with you, as a, even as a pastor, as a, as a husband, as a, as a grandfather, there are times when I have to exercise patience, and it is hard. Amen? It's difficult. And yet the Apostle Paul says, if you want to maintain unity within the life of, the, of community, if you want to maintain unity in, in, your, in your family, if you want to maintain unity in the life of your church, in your life group, if you want to maintain unity in your community in which you live, work, and play, then you need to learn how to exercise patience. Patience. 
I look at this one and I think, man, I mean, Paul could have gone on and on and on and on. I mean, he could have listed a hundred of these, right? Uh, he, he really could have listed a lot of these. Uh, I look at this and I wonder, you know, why is it that he, that he lists patience? What is it about patience? And then I, I got to thinking about this and I, I began to think that, you know, it's probably very easy for us to exercise patience when things are going really well, isn't it? I mean, when things are going our way, we can be patient all day long, right? But what if somebody violates our rights? Are we patient then? What if somebody hurts us? What if somebody comes against us? What if we get treated unfairly? What if we just have a bad day? What if the children aren't behaving? What if daddy's not behaving? <laughs> what if mama's not behaving? Are we patient then? You know, I got to thinking about it. I, 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 I was looking at this. You know, here's what James says. James 1 teaches us about patience. He, he teaches that it does not come easy and it does not come quickly. It does not come easy and it does not come quickly. We have to practice the discipline of patience every single day. In fact, as I was thinking of all the things that maybe could be steps to practicing unity within the life of the church this is one that probably comes most hard to to most of us in this room i was thinking no wonder he used this as an example the older i get I, I believe i'm becoming more and more patient i really do believe that but but man i'm a lot more patient than i was in my 20s and in my 30s i'm a lot more patient and and i'll be the first to tell you and i haven't learned it all yet i haven't arrived if you will i still have a lot to learn about patience and so paul includes this as he talks to us at the church about how we should maintain this christian community and christian unity he says through humility through gentleness and then he says patience and then here's the fourth one for you forbearance forbearance okay so he goes in and this is what he says here he says i therefore a prisoner of the lord I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience. And then he says this, bearing with one another. Maybe this one is the harder one. Let's, no, I'm kidding. I know patience is tough. Maybe this one is hard. Can I just be honest with you? I don't like everything I see every day. I don't know about you. Maybe you're walking through, you know, a green meadow frolicking every day in life, you know, and and everything's rosy and everything's great but as I live out my life as I go out into my community as I get on you know social media as I as I look at the news I just don't like everything and can I be real honest with you as a pastor I don't like everybody I don't know if I'm supposed to say that in church or not as a pastor I, I mean I'm just I, I know I'm instructed to love all people and I, I try but but there are people I come in contact with contact with every day that I just I walk away and I, I don't like them you know I, they're rude you know they're 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 evil I, I don't know I mean I just walk away and I struggle with that but here's why that's so important for me to say this because first of all you're right there with me okay I know that to be the case some of you are looking like I can't believe our pastor would say such a thing and that would make you a huge hypocrite okay but here's here's the reality here's the reality Okay, here's the reality. That's why it's so important that we bear with one another. 
You see what I'm saying? You see, what Paul is saying here, it says he's challenging us to be able to walk out into the community and live our life and bear the image of Jesus that we may exalt his name. And so as we go out there, there's no doubt we're gonna deal with people who have different opinions than we do, with different views and perspectives than we do. And so he challenges us. He says, when you go out and you even confront people whom you walk away with and say, I don't like them, you have to put up with them because it's the Christian thing to do. You have to bear one another's burdens. You have to come along beside one another. Now remember, he's speaking into the life of the church, so he's talking about this reality that we together living in here, we have a higher responsibility even to each other. I know the truth is, is that there's a lot of us in this room that probably differ politically. I'm not gonna bring that up any further than that, but but you know where that takes us, right? We go to life group with people that differ from us. And yet the word of God, because of the spirit within us, that says that Jesus is more important than our differences, calls us to be forbearing toward one another. And so humility, gentle, patient, forbearing and then he finishes up with this I'm almost done love love as you put up with everybody love them right I mean it's just what we do if we want to maintain unity that's what we do listen to what Paul is saying Paul's saying unity has already been established Jesus is the reason and the one who brought you together. We are gathered in this place because of Jesus. Amen? I'm not gathered here because of your political leaning. I'm gathered here together with you because you worship the same God I do. Amen? How many of you love Jesus this morning? You see where this goes? And so Paul says, listen, Unity has been established for you already through Christ Jesus. And as you live your life, live it with humility, with gentleness, he says, with patience and forbearance. And above everything else, love. 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 Let me just say this. You may be really good at loving your spouse. And you may be really good at loving your children. And you may be really good at loving the friends who love you back. But is that good enough? Can I just tell you, that's not that big a deal according to Jesus. Because that's the easy ones to love. You realize that Jesus in the scripture, he challenges us to love, listen to this, our enemies. In fact, he says in Matthew 5, 44, he says not only love your enemies, but pray for those who persecute you. 
In other words, you remember we were talking earlier about those that stab you in the back? Their desire is to bring hurt on your life. Jesus says, yeah, love them. You want to demonstrate your faith in Christ Jesus? Love your enemies. You haven't accomplished that much loving the people who love you back. Love your enemies. Matthew 5, verse 46, it says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? These are the words of Jesus. This isn't your crazy pastor talking. This is Jesus speaking into our life here this morning. And Jesus says this, he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? It's easy to love those who love us back. How well do we love those who oppose us? That's what, that's what Paul's speaking of here. He's saying, you want to go out into the community and you want to be the salt of the earth. Good for you. You want to go out into the community and you want to be the light of the world. Good for you. But can you love those who hate you? Because if you can't, you're not the salt of the earth. and You're not the light of the world. And these guys are wondering why I'm looking so strongly at them. We've got to talk, you and I. A day's not even looking up. He's taking notes. What we have in common with Christ is way more important than any difference that we may have with each other. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? one does what we have in Christ Jesus is way more important if you take one truth with you home today take this truth home with you that because of who we have in Christ Jesus and what he has done for us we can overcome everything else in this world and we can be the salt we can be the light of this world because of Jesus Christ. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all through Christian community that is knitted together with Christian unity. That's what the Word of God is teaching us today.